Okay, as I mentioned, as the outline shows you, and this outline is just so if, if you don't remember everything I say, you can look it up, and like I said, you can look at all the different verses and uh, go back and do a study yourself of these subjects. I think it will be encouraging. As God's people, we're spiritual pilgrims, aren't we? We're spiritual pilgrims in a strange land, or at least that is how we should view it. We shouldn't view this as our, our permanent home. And sometimes I fear that um, we maybe get caught up a little bit too much with what we're doing here, a little too comfortable with our life here, and we become a little estranged from heaven. We're not thinking about it perhaps as often as we ought to, uh, so we kind of put that on the back burner, as they say, and don't really focus on you know, We think of heaven, of course, when a, in this situation, uh, when a friend or loved one passes away, and we hope that they've trusted in Christ for their salvation. Um, but do we think about it often? Do we think about heaven often enough? Do we think about where we're going, what our hope is? How does it affect our life now? How does it enable us to serve the Lord now, looking to that anticipated hope that we have? Um, so in this world, if we walk with the Lord, we are constantly being assaulted, obviously, on our journey towards heaven. Uh, our enemy, the devil, whispers to us that give up the faith, it's not worth it. The world says, oh, don't make a big deal about being holy. Go for all the gusto you can. Have fun. You know, live life. Don't worry about being spiritual. Or they, maybe they'll say something like, uh, don't wait for God, hurry up and do it yourself. You know, hurry up and enjoy life. And our peace is also attacked by numerous agitation, threats uh, from the world and from Satan, from things happening all around us. These things can affect those three aspects of our life, our perseverance, our patience, and our peace. And as a church, and as families within the church, and as individual Christians, we need to know the scriptural virtues of persever- perseverance, patience, and peace that they're all anchored in the belief that we serve a sovereign God who works all things, not most things, not the majority of things, but all things after the counsel of his will, as we're told in Ephesians 1.11. And though they're interrelated, these three subjects, these three three, uh, 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 virtues here, let's look at them separately, okay? We'll look at them separately today, and then we'll tie them together in the end and, and the outline is there for you to hang on to and, and make notes as you desire. So first of all, let's look at perseverance. Perseverance. And there's some Greek words here. I'll try not to massacre them, but um, basically the Greek root word, the root word for, uh, for perseverance is hupomino, which means to remain, literally to remain or figuratively to undergo, uh, that is to bear trials, as I say there in the outline, to have fortitude, to endure, that's the, per, the, the overall definition of this root word. And then you look at the word that's derived from that root word, which is hupoone, and that means a cheerful endurance, a constancy, a patience continuance. There's a, a going on in the sense of you know, not just enduring, but to uh, have a, a sense of, of cheerfulness in, in doing it, doing it because you want to do it, not because you have to. Webster's 1828 Dictionary Definition, as I show you there, is persistence in anything undertaken. In theology, it's a continuance in a state of grace to a state of glory, sometimes called final perseverance. The words persevere and patience are are closely related, I'm sure you would think of that, but they are distinctive. To persevere involves an active and persistent pursuit, while patience is more of a passive enduring. Unfortunately, the King James Version of the Bible always translates various Greek words as patience, though sometimes the context speaks more of persevering. 
It may be the word persevere <coughs> was not part of the English lexicon in 1611, but in any case, still the term to persevere is definitely implied in the original language as distinctive from patience. So we want to keep those two separate. It's easy to, to kind of mix them together, but they are distinctive. So let's look at some passages in Scripture that encourage us to persevere in our faith. First one is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of us. <clears throat> and we'll be going through these on the outline as they're listed there. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we see the use of both Greek words, really, are being mentioned here. We are in a spiritual race, okay? And victory is already guaranteed for us. Why? Because the captain of our salvation has run before us and has won the prize. But we must still run the race, right? We're still in the race here. We're still living on earth. We still have to do those things that God would have us to do to fulfill his will for us. We must persevere, persevere in our life of faith, not being discouraged or distracted along the way, but looking to our Savior, we must press on to the end. This means we must be faithful in what? In studying God's word, okay? Because that guides us on our path as we go through this life. We must be faithful in following this roadmap that God has given us in the race. We must run with perseverance in a daily pursuit of holiness and obedience to God's word. We need to persevere in memorizing and meditating on God's word and teaching our families to do likewise. Uh, we admit, admit that we are easily entangled in sin, but as we look to Christ and his finished work, we know that that blood will cleanse us from all our sins as we confess them and forsake them. So there's that encouragement through Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. We look to Christ, we follow him, we persevere. There's a picture there of persevere, not patience, not waiting, but rather persevering and following him. If you're in a race, in a cross-country race especially, usually your cross-country team will have the, the prime runner, I guess you might call it, or the one who's the, the, uh, the fastest or the, the, the best runner, and he'll take the lead. And he'll go and he'll run and everybody's kind of following. He's pacing everybody for a while. And then eventually, of course, he, he goes for the win. But the rest of the team is, is following him, is trying to keep up with him or at least keep as close to him as possible because he helps set the pace for them so they can finish up the race. So that's the goal for us is to follow Christ, keep following him, persevering in the race until we reach that eternal goal, of course, which comes when our life is ended here on earth. So that verse is a very important verse. I'm sure it's familiar, but I would recognize, recommend rather that you memorize it if you haven't already. Let's turn then from there to a little look, next book over to James. James chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4. James 1, 2 through 4. And we'll read that. My brethren, I count it all joy when you, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And you can go on reading, of course, if any of you lacks wisdom in that verse. So in verse 3, the better translation of the Greek word would be perseverance. I think most texts might say patience, but the actual better translation of that word should be perseverance. When tested and tried, we are not to give up or pack it in, but we are to endure to press on in our faith. 
We should persevere, knowing that God's cause, God causes all things to work, to work together for our good, as we're told in Romans 8 and verse 28. The picture here is one of an act of trust, not a folding of the arms and kind of, okay, I'll trust God. No, there's an a implication of taking up the cross and following Christ, following him, which means you're actively doing something. It's persevering, it's enduring, and persisting in that perfect will of God. If our view is inward, if our view is self-centered, looking at ourselves, we'll have a hard time with trials. But if our view, if our view is away, looking to Christ towards our sovereign Lord and his intercession for us, then the promise of eternal life in him will enable us to persevere. Not in our strength, not in our strength, but in his. As we persevere, our faith is strengthened in him. As we press on, looking to him, trusting in him, our faith is strengthened. We're able to do more. We're able to go further. It's that kind of extra adrenaline he gives us to keep going by faith. So that's a verse you might want to keep in mind in James. Turning now over to Romans. Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4. Romans 5, 1 through 4. We'll read that. Therefore, and this should be, again, a familiar, these are all familiar verses, so if you don't already know them, I'd recommend you memorize them because they're ones that are good to keep in your mind as you're facing trials. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that when we're looking at, at peace. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Ah, there it is. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. The word here used is the same as the one used in James chapter 1, verse 3. Tribulation produces an unswerving endurance or perseverance. It produces experience. As it says here in the text, it produces character or proof, which is the literal translation of the Greek word dokime, which is to test. It tests us, okay? As we're going through these trials, tribulation tests us. It it kind of helps refine us and make us stronger. It helps us to look beyond our current life to the hope we have in Christ. So for the Christian whose heart is set on the Lord, trials should cause him to press on in faith with the result that... Uh, I guess you might say, results in experience, as it says here, or testing of that faith. There's experience and testing. Note in verse 3 here of of chapter 5, it says the word worketh in the King James or produces in other versions. Worketh or produces. The Greek here literally means to work fully, to accomplish, by implication to finish or complete a work. So we have this active verb, verb, verb here in the Greek, which is worketh or produces, pointing to these three direct objects, perseverance, which also could be, you could use the terms persistence or endurance, uh, experience, which also can uh, point to character or to proof, and lastly, hope, which is anticipation or confidence in God doing what he has promised to do. This perseverance is not a physical keep on going or even a psychological mind over matter, but rather is based on a trust, a true trust in the living God. We use that verse in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, and it's been very much misused. But in that text, when Paul's speaking there in Philippians 4.13, if I can do all things through Christ, he's speaking of 
enduring and going through persecution, that he can endure all these. I can do all these things. I can get through this persecution because God's strengthening me. That's what it's all about. It's not about I can do whatever I want you know, by God's strengthening me. No, it's, it's speaking specifically in the context about enduring and making it through persecution. So keep that in mind as we look at that. True spiritual perseverance is a gift of God. It's not something of the flesh. It is the gracious working of his spirit granting us the strength to press on through trials, through weariness and discouragement, knowing how great our God is and how sure is the fulfillment of his promise. That's, you know, that's really important that we, we again, we're looking to God in the, for our strength, but we have a sense of, of truly trusting him that he will help us endure, that he will not abandon us or forsaken us. He'll not give up on us, so we shouldn't give up on him. We should continue to trust in him, continue to persevere, knowing that he will fulfill his will in us. As he's called us in Christ, he will fulfill his will in us. Therefore, we can persevere. As a church, we must persevere by God's grace to proclaim the word of God here in Lapeer County, to teach men and women to lead their families according to God's pattern for his word, and to reach the lost with the gospel. We'll have opposition. We already know that. We've seen it. Satan, is one, uh, for one, will not be pleased with our efforts and will try to trip us up by stirring up strife among us or bringing opposition upon us from the outside. Men, even good men, and we see this throughout history, even good men will try to discourage us from being too strict in our stand on the word of God. But by God's grace, we will go on for his glory and his honor, not ours. We must focus upon the Lord as we look back there at, at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We must focus on him and not our own comfort zone. Uh, when you're running a race, especially in a cross-country race, there's not a whole lot of comfort <laughs> in your body when you're, you're pressing on mile after mile. But there's a perseverance knowing the goal is before you, the prize is before you. So you put the pain or the, the, the suffering, the discomfort behind, and you focus on Christ, and you run forward, trusting that he will protect you and he will enable you to fulfill his will. As fathers, we must, by that same grace, persevere, in teaching our families God's truth. We go from the church, we go back to the families individually. We, we should be teaching uh, our families God's truth, guiding our sons to be spiritual leaders and courageous men of God, teaching our daughters with our wise assistance, of course, to be keepers at home, to be godly, caring mothers of children. We must persevere in resisting the pressures of foes, friends, and even family to send our children to secular schools or universities to, quote, expand our children's horizons unquote, by exposing them to worldly philosophies and from those who would hurt them or lure them out from under our care and protection and influence. As individual Christians, we must persevere in pursuing a life of holiness in conformity to God's word, not our own ideals, not the world's philosophies, but we pattern our life after God's word. And that should be pretty obvious to us. I mean, we're talking to the choir here, but sometimes we forget about that. We're very easily caught up in what the current trends are in society or what's popular or what so-and-so told us was a good thing to do. We need to always go back to the Word and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What is your will revealed here? How can I fulfill that by your grace? So that's a challenge for us because we live in the world and the world is not friendly. You know, it's, not, it's not supporting us as, as a whole. Uh, it's rather discouraging us in many times. So we need to be careful that we are able to go on by focusing on Christ. We don't do anything in the flesh, but we do it in dependence upon the Spirit of God to guide us and the grace of God to sustain us in our daily walk. 
Our confidence, our drive, our joyful persistence is based upon our trust in a sovereign God who has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And that should encourage us. Okay, let's move on now to patience. We've talked about perseverance a little bit here. Move on to patience. And that Greek word is the same one we noticed up there with patience, hupenomne, which means a cheerful endurance, a constancy, a patient continuance. There's also another Greek word, though, that is often translated as patience. And that's a little longer one. As you see there, it's makrothomeo, which means long-spirited, forbearing. Webster's 1828 dictionary definition, uh, the word macromothomio means the suffering of afflictions, or actually patience, means the suffering of afflictions, pain, etc., with a calm, unruffled temper, endurance without murmuring, and the, the act of quality or quality of waiting long for justice or expected good without discontent, submission to divine will. There's, those four words are very important in our life in all these, these futures, but submission to divine will. Patience is also based upon what? It's based upon a strong confidence in the sovereign Lord who rules over all, bringing about his perfect will. We have to be patient that God's will will be done. Patience looks forward with a heartfelt trust that God's promises will be fulfilled. In perseverance, we're running. We're, we're taking, this is God's will. We're, we're persevering. We're going forward. We're not being discouraged. We're looking to him. Patience is, is a trust, is more of a foundation of trust and, if necessary, waiting upon the Lord. There are times when we're to run forward. There are times when we're to wait and patiently look for his will to be revealed. Certainly, patience is difficult, isn't it? Because the I want it now, self-possessed creatures that we are, um, we, need to, we need to die to self and learn to wait upon the Lord it's not difficult to obtain if you're waiting upon him. If you're waiting upon someone else, you might get a little impatient. But if you're waiting on the Lord, you know that his timing is perfect. It's not like he's late for something or too soon for something. No, he's always on time. In the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, not on a whim or a wish or just because it was, you know, he got tired of waiting and he, he, he put him in there. No, in the fullness of time, God does things according to his schedule. And if we have a sense of that, I think a real daily sense of that, then we don't give way into worry or fear or, you know, uh, get all worked out over something because it's not going quite the way we want. No, God's in control. Every cloud in the sky, the scripture says, is ordained of him where it goes. The patterns of the clouds, all events in history, whether it be earthquakes, uh, hurricanes, blue skies, sunshine, all are, are controlled by his divine sovereign purposes. And we need to have a sense of of peace in that, and we'll talk about that when we get to peace, but that's the picture. Even in all three of these, both in, in patience and perseverance as well as in peace, we need to have that sense of a, a confidence that God's in control. He's over it all. Patience looks forward to that. We trust him that he will bring about his will. The problem is I think we often get caught up in temporarily thing, temporary things instead of in eternal things. We look to the now and what we want and what we hope to get maybe very quickly. We look to instant gratification instead of long-term satisfaction. We can sing, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus, but do we believe it? You know, will it be worth it all? All we endure when we see him? We need to put that in our minds. In a commentary on, on James chapter 5 and verse 7, <clears throat> Matthew Henry said this, Men count time long because they measure it by their own lives, but all time is as nothing to God. It is as a moment. To short-lived creatures, a few years seem an age. But Scripture, measuring all things by the existence of God, 
reckons thousands of years, but so many days. So we need to keep things, again, from an eternal perspective. We, we look at things in days because our life is caught up in our days and our, our, our lives, our years that we live or don't, the things that we go through, um, perhaps jobs and other things. But God isn't bound by time, which Brian has brought that out already in our study here on the character of God. So let us look at some verses from the Word of God that teach us the virtue of patience, the virtue of patience. We'll start with James chapter 5. If you want to go back there to James again. James chapter 5 and verses 7 through 11. Let me read these for you. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance, there's another word, of Job, and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We get all, really all three of our words in there. <clears throat> Here we have the use of the Greek word macromeo, macrothomeo, which speaks of long-suffering, long-suffering or patient enduring. The object here in, in his text here in James is the coming of the Lord. Again, if our focus is upon the Lord and his promises rather than ourselves and our wants, we can endure. We can endure the wait for his will to be fulfilled. That's, the key is who you focused on. What are you focused on? Are you focused on yourself, your, your plans, your schemes, your hopes for the future, or are you focused on the Lord and his will to be fulfilled? That's important. We, we get that mindset that, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, not my timing, but your timing be done. Not that we are oblivious to what's happening around us, but we have to have a, a mindset that we're always focusing on. God's doing his will here, and we seek to fulfill his will as he directs us from his word. <clears throat> The example here given in the text is that of a farmer who waits for the fruit of the earth. Now, I don't know of too many farmers, Doug, who plant their seed one day and expect a crop to be harvested the next, right? That's not going to happen. Uh, not at all. But we expect a long-term uh, fruit of our, our planting. Um, we wait months sometimes, you know, even a better part of a year, for things to get to a point where we can harvest it. We expect it to grow via sunshine and rain that God provides. God's time is not our time. He is working in us according to his good pleasure. His work is a careful, detailed work, for he's a master craftsman. He's a master craftsman. When we think about that. We don't, we don't think about it, I guess, as much as we read it in the Scriptures, but we don't think about that he's always working things according to his time schedule. I'm sure the Jews back in Egypt <clears throat> were really hoping for God to come and rescue them right away, but it took what? 400 years before God brought him out of Egypt. Imagine that. Generations of people came and went before God finally said, okay, let's go. Same thing I said with Christ coming. How long did the people of Israel hope for a Messiah to come? But he didn't come until the fullness of time when God would have him to come. So we have to have a sense that God's in control of time. His time is according to his perfect will, and therefore we need to have that sense of peace peace that he's in control. We don't hasten God's work in us lest the fruit that he desires to bring forth life is spoiled by our pride and our impatience. We don't rush God and say, it's got to happen now. 
1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. What is the due time for God to do something in your life when he has determined it to be so? Our goal is just to be obedient, seek to please him, and again, focus on the eternal hope that desires in Christ that enables us as we focus on that to go forward. And in due time, he'll bring about certain events in your life that he wishes to happen, whether it be uh, a positive thing or even a challenge or a trial. He has a purpose and a, uh, a direction for every event that takes place in our life. James exhorts us here to look back at the prophets of old and of Job. They endured much, yet they trusted in God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that they looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. They looked beyond their temporal circumstances and their eternal reward, to their eternal reward. We endure very, very little compared to them. When you think about what Job endured, what many of the saints endured, look back over the history of the church, what the uh, Scottish covenanters endured, uh, what the Huguenots endured in France, what others have endured, even the early Christians, the persecution under Roman emperors that they endured, they endured much compared to what we've endured. So we don't have any reason to complain. But in any case, they looked forward, just as the prophets of old looked forward, trusting in a God who would fulfill his will in due time. James exhorts us to look back. In fact, you know, it's, it says we're looking, looking back, but we're also looking forward. We're looking back, saying, okay, we see how God worked in the past. Now we look forward to that city whose builder and maker is God, that hope that we have in him. We look beyond our temporal circumstances to our eternal reward. Excuse me. <clears throat> can we not look upon the Lord and trust him, even in these days? And we look about our nation, we can be in despair of the condition, the moral condition of our nation. But we can look beyond this. We have to be faithful. We have to be a light in the midst of darkness. We have to be uh, persevering in our faith, even though the world around us is, as the saying goes, I think Winston Churchill said this, going to hell in a handbasket. That's what's happening around us. But we need to go forward, need to trust that God is in control and that he will bring about his will. All that our elect in Christ will come to him. Whether it happens tomorrow or 100 years from now, it'll happen according to God's perfect timing and his will will be fulfilled. These last few words probably have borne more lessons in patience for all of us as families concerning COVID and everything else. And as a body of Christ, we've learned a lot over these last two years to see God's hand working in through difficult circumstances. We're still learning them, aren't we? We're still learning, but let us do it with patience, trusting God at all times. Okay, let's flip over to Romans again. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15 and verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> and this text speaks not only of the virtue of patience, but also of Christian liberty. Let me read. Romans chapter 15 and verses 1 through 5. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> We're all at different levels of Christian maturity and experience. 
And instead of lording it over those who are either young in faith or weak in conscience, we are to seek to please others, not for the purpose of compromise, but for edification. Basically, this is the second great commandment in action, isn't it? I mean, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. In verse 4 here of Romans chapter 15, it tells us that the scripture is our life's lesson book that we might learn patience. And the word correctly translated also could be endurance and to obtain comfort to obtain comfort. We might learn patience and obtain comfort as we look at Scripture in the light of our life's lessons. As we read of the experience of the saints of old, we can lean or learn, really, we can lean upon God's grace, but we can learn from God's grace to be patient as they were for the will of God to be fulfilled on a daily basis. We also can draw comfort and consolation from God's promises which point us to our blessed hope. Thus, we see the importance of studying the Word of God. Obviously, that's why we have this lessons on 1689 and all the, the doctrines that are found there in Scripture. This is why we go through books of the Bible teaching the Word of God that we might learn what God would have us to do and how we have confidence in His promises and hope. In verse 5 here of our text in Romans 15, we see that, that our God is a God of patience and comfort. A God of patience and comfort. There are constant examples in Scripture of his patience with Israel, and I'm sure we could speak of his patience with us when, at times, we stubbornly resisted his will. He also is a God of all comfort, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3-4. through 4. Paul prays here in verse 5 that the Lord will give us grace to be like-minded towards one another. Again, note, it's not human patience, not human patience that we need, but that fruit of the Spirit produced by God in us as we seek to please him and bless our fellow believers. <clears throat> so let's move on to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. Back a little further in the New Testament. Just one verse here, 1 Timothy 6, 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Here Paul is admonishing Timothy to flee from worldly lusts and material greediness and pursue certain godly virtues. You'll note the similarities of this list, by the way, with the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. If you were to go back and look at Galatians 5 in this text, you'll see many of the same qualities that Paul is encouraging Timothy to have here. Truly, Timothy could not in his flesh have produced these attributes without the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in his life, and that's true of us too. Note, though, he is to what? Pursue these things, not to stand back and admire them, saying, oh, that, those are great things. I hope somebody lives that way, or I hope you know, they work out. No, we are to pursue those things. They're not automatically given to us, but are wrought out as we persist in holiness following our Lord. The same Greek word, hupolone, is used here, and it means a constant or a patient continuance. We need to strive after these Christ-like characteristics and pray for the Spirit to endue us with a good measure of it. This is not to neglect the other virtues that are listed here, for all are precious in the life of God's saints, but we're just wanting to point out that here we have this patience mentioned once again as one of those virtues that we need to pursue. We need to look, pray God for grace to be patient with him, with everything around us as well, because he's in control. As a church, we must practice patience, both with one another and with dealing with lost souls around us. As God deals patiently with us, so we need to deal patiently and graciously with one another. Let's not be quick to judge someone 
because they differ from us in practical issues. If we are to have an impact on this county, on Lapeer County, we must learn to patiently and faithfully preach the word as well as individually reach out to those around us. How many couples here today were Christians when they were married? How many couples were Christians were married? Pretty much all of us, okay? Except for the guy in the back. He's not there yet. <laughs> uh, how many here have been Christians for over 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? Okay, I'm great, great to see that. Have you grown in wisdom and the knowledge of the Lord? Or you think, are you the same you were when you got come to know the Lord 20, 30, 40 years ago? Obviously, we've all grown, haven't we? Because we've been studying the word. We've been under the preaching of the word. We've been uh, doing other things to help build our faith. But that's important that we, we get that sense of we ought to be patient with one another as we grow as a church. Some of us have wisdom of years and spiritual experience that we can share. Others perhaps are yet young in the faith or at least have not spent as much time in the study of the word as others. So patience is an important virtue we have with one another, as well as patience with the Lord as he's fulfilling his will. We look on each other not as, oh, we're all the same. No, we all are at different levels of spiritual, life, spiritual growth and maturity, and we look to encourage those who are weak and, and admire those perhaps that are stronger. But in all in all, we have patience with one another, understanding and appreciating each other, at the various levels we are, and encouraging each other to all grow in grace, patiently dealing with those, especially if we have young people come in here or families come in here who are perhaps new to the faith. We need to have patience with them. We don't want to expect them to be spiritual giants, you know, after a couple of weeks of being in church if they haven't really been in church before. So we need to have patience and understanding and compassion and a desire to encourage them to be patient with each other, but also be patient with the Lord as they grow. Our desire to grow should be a, a, a hungering and a thirsting and a desire, but we also have to have patience that we'll learn as we go. It's not going to all happen at once. You know, not one class or one series on uh, the 1689 is going to make you a super saint. Okay, there's got to be that patience with, uh, with one another and patience with the Lord as he leads you through those events in your life that helps you to grow and to get stronger in your faith. As parents, we, need, we, wait, we waited patiently for nine months, you ladies did, uh, for your babies to be born. We patiently taught our children to care for themselves, uh, to read, to write, to mature, to mature in the faith. Let us patiently encourage one another from God's word as we grow together in grace. Some lessons are hard to learn than others, aren't they? So we need to be patient with each other. Let's pray patiently for God to work in us his perfect will here at ARBC. Okay? Pray for patience with one another and for spiritual growth. Okay? So let's move on to peace here as we finish up our, our study, the word peace. The Greek word is irenuo, which means to be peaceful, to live in peace. The Hebrew word, as you probably know, is shalom. Uh, shalom means safe, liter- figuratively speaking. It means well or happy or friendly. Jews greet each other or as they depart each other, they say shalom, which means may you live in peace or may you live in good health. Also, welfare is another uh, definition of that word, peace. Webster's 1828 Dictionary says, in a general sense, a state of quiet or tranquility, freedom from disturbance or agitation, also freedom from private quarrels, and lastly, heavenly rest, the happiness of heaven, as told us in Isaiah 57, verse 2. Peace can come in many forms, uh, but true peace in a soul is a gift from God, and it comes as a result of a right relationship with God. True peace 
is a result of a right relationship with God. Because of Adam's fall, we all know, of course, that we're born at war with God. There's no peace between us and God because of Adam. We're all wicked sinners in his sight outside of Christ. And Scripture says in Isaiah 57, 21, There is no peace, saith my God, for the wicked. When we think about that term, you know, we, we can kind of, uh, I guess, look at what's happening around us, some of the wickedness, whether it be shootings at schools and other things, and we can kind of put it aside and not want to think about it. But think of it in terms of there's no peace for those who are engaged in wickedness that there's no peace, no sense of, of eternal hope for them. They are under the wrath of God until they repent and turn. So peace is not something that's going to come to people who are forsaking God. In fact, it's going to lead them more into turmoil and trouble. <clears throat> not only do we need peace with God, that his wrath might not come upon us, but we need what? The peace of God. We need peace with God, which comes through Christ. But we need the peace of God to face trials and challenges of our life. Praise his name, he's provided both for us in Christ Jesus. So let's look to his word and let's confirm that. Let's look back at Romans chapter 5. We'll go to this text again. You might remember that when we read that first couple of verses there in chapter 5, that word peace was included. And let's read it again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith unto this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. How gracious our God is to us. When we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us, that being justified by faith, we now have peace with God. We didn't have it before. Only if you're in Christ do you now have peace with God. You're no longer at war with God. The war is over between us and him. Instead of us recognizing the hopelessness of our battle and surrendering, he sent his spirit with terms of peace and draws us to himself. His wrath is poured out upon his son that we might have peace with him. What mercy is this? Think about it. Wonder at it and rejoice that you now have peace with God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what God has done for us in Christ. This peace is centered not in us, but in Christ himself. He made peace for us through the blood of his cross, as we're told in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Let's move on then to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 13 through 18. Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, as we continue our study of peace. We were once far off from God. Let me read that verse, verse Ephesians 2. In fact, let's read verses 13 through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. There's that word that phrase that should grip our hearts, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And there he's talking about peace between Jews and Gentiles. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We once were far off from God. In fact, it was a gulf so great that no one but God could cross it. No one could cross that gulf except for God. But now, in Christ, we have been made near and he himself is our peace. He is the personification of our peace with God. He's broken down that barrier that existed 
between God's chosen people, the Jews, who alone had access to God. And now in Christ, we all have access to the Father, and we are one in him. We, brothers and sisters in Christ, are all one in him. We are at peace with God and should be at peace with one another in Christ. Yes, we as individuals in personality and ability, uh, we are different, but we are all one in Christ. So let us rejoice in that common bond we have in him and seek ways that we might worship him together in peace, in, in, a, in a love for one another. Let's move on to Isaiah. Going back to the Old Testament, this is the last text for today. We'll be looking at Oh, I, I think I have one other verse I might look at just before we close. Isaiah chapter 26 and verses 1 through 4, back in the Old Testament. Again, this may be a familiar verse if you have read Isaiah before, recently. Isaiah 26, 1 through 4. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. If our hearts are set upon the Lord, he will give us that perfect peace that comes from a right relationship with him. Are you troubled? Are you frustrated? Are you discouraged with the way your life and the world is progressing? So set your mind on things above where Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Note, the verse says that perfect peace comes to those who trust in the Lord. Not this people who just kind of acknowledge, oh yeah, I think there's God out there, or I believe that that God's there. No, those who trust in him, who have confidence in his word. No matter what is happening in the world outside around us, God's on the throne, working all things according to his perfect will, and therefore we can be at peace. Again, It's a focus on God, not ourselves. It's a focus not on what's happening around us, but on his will being fulfilled perfectly. You can say, if you say you don't have peace now, well, perhaps there's sin. If there's sin in your life, you need to repent of that sin, and God will give you that peace. As the heart pants after the water brook, the scripture says, so let our soul pant after the Lord, and he will give you rest. He will give you peace. Peace escapes us when we try to take things into our own hands or set our focus on the temporal instead of on the eternal. God has given us the avenue avenue of prayer to seek him when we're troubled and to lay our burdens upon him, lay him at his feet. In fact, we're told that in Philippians chapter 4. Let me flip back real quick. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. This is our last verse for today. This should be a verse I think we're familiar with. And this is a verse which we would do well to memorize. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God's peace will guard your heart and mind from the pressures of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Look to him and be at peace. Now, let's conclude things here, kind of wrap it all together, uh, and hopefully come to a sound conclusion. So what is the common link between perseverance, patience, and peace? A faith, a faith in a sovereign, loving God who has loved us with an everlasting love. Not a temporal love, not a here today, gone tomorrow love, but an everlasting love. Before the world began, he loved us. 
he determined to send his son to die for us. And he hasn't forgot about that. He's continuing to love us, continuing to watch over us. He's a sovereign God who gave his son to die for us, who gave us his word to reveal his will, and who gave us his spirit to guide us in obedience to that will. He's not the author of confusion, but of peace to those who trust in him. As God gives us the daily grace we need to persevere in his will, then let us patiently wait for his will to be fulfilled in our families and in our church. When we do that, when our confidence is in him and not our flesh, then we can be at peace. We need not fear the future, for it's it's in his hands, in his sure hands. We're to reach Lapeer County with God's message of salvation. We must persevere in preaching the word as we gather here on Sundays. We must diligently look for ways we can spread his word abroad, as we do with sermon audio and other, other ways, as well as personally. As families, we must persevere in maintaining godly standards in our home and in our contacts outside the home. As individuals, we must pursue holiness and the knowledge of God via his word. We must arm ourselves for daily spiritual warfare that we're going to face and patiently look up to him, not grow weary in the fight. As a church, we must patiently bear with one another as God deals patiently with us. So let this Berean spirit be about us as we study God's word together. Let us persevere in the study of God's word together, comparing scripture with scripture and holding to sound principles clearly taught in the word of the living God. And that will give us not only peace, but patience as well. Let us seek the peace that passes all understanding by laying all our requests at his feet, the feet of our loving God and Savior. Let us seek peace with each other by being quick to forgive, patient when not understood, gentle in rebuke when it's necessary. Let us persevere in loving one another as we patiently wait for him to fulfill his will. And as we do that, we will have peace. Let's close in a word of prayer.